Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody. You got Billy, you got Topher. This is We Watched a Thing. No time for Dilly Dally. Let's get into it, my friend. No how you beans, no nothing. That'd be time wasting, and we don't waste time on this show. Sure. No, not at all. What are we talking about this week? It's just straight into the. You're wasting time. You're out of your element, Topher. <laughs> hey, I was. I was like, it's not going to take long. <laughs> it's not going to take long until Billy decides that randomly quoting the film can just take the place of any kind of sensible discussion about it. Oh, it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> I'm counting on it. Uh, because, of course, what film are we talking about this week? Fan favourite, The Big Lebowski. Yes, at demand of a patron. We're here to see if we can say anything about this film that hasn't been said by... Every film nerd in the past 15 years, and we will fail. Uh, 20th anniversary earlier this year. I thought it was 98. Uh, I think technically it was 98, but I think it didn't get a wide release till 99. Right, so it was like at a, probably at a festival in 98 and then actually came out in 99. Yeah, I'm, po- I'm possibly wrong on that. We'll, we'll see. I'm probably wrong on a lot of things. <laughs> ah, mate, let's just go with it. We're, we're, we're post-truth, Billy. Yeah. This is one of my favourite things about having patrons, aside from aside from the money, which is nice. One of my favourite things is that this is a movie that you and I have both seen, so we would never do this on the show if it wasn't demanded of us. I don't think we've ever actually spoken about this movie, though. That is that's not a fact, Billy. Is it? Well, I feel like we both inherently know the other person enjoys it, but I don't think we've ever really spoken about it. You're out of your element, mate. <laughs> am I am I making stuff up? You are making stuff up. You tell me when we've spoken about this film. I don't know the date. Because we have I don't know the I, place. I don't think we have. <laughs> well, I'm like I'm pleased that the conversation meant so much to you. <laughs> You're clearly not very memorable. <laughs> um have have you watched anything else though this week, just taking care of that bit of Oh, mate, we're back into dilly-dally. <laughs> what did I say about time-wasting? Um, as last week, I've been watching a lot of Great British Bake Off. That's about the extent of it for me this week. Just still churning through that Bake Off? Yeah, um, I, I, I did a weird thing. I started with season four, then I did season three, and now I'm halfway through season one. <laughs> Don't ask me why I did it. I just did. It's, it's good, though. It's interesting to see the evolution of the show. Season one kind of blows. I don't know if you... So, obviously, the hosts, Sue and Mel, they're great. They're still there in season one, but for some reason, they also have a narrator. So, Sue and Mel really don't talk very much. Yeah, I remember the narrator. Like, why have a narrator? What's the point of having a narrator and hosts? He had a really soothing voice, though. It is soothing. It is a little bit hypnotic. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, what did I say about wasting time? (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Have, Have you watched anything good this week? Yeah, I have. Um, so last night I watched The Phantom Menace because I decided I'm going to just do all them Star Wars. Well, can I ask though, did you watch The Phantom Menace or did you watch the Topher edit? I thought about just cheating and doing the Topher edit, but no, I watched all two odd hours of, right. of Menace. Because for that, I, I mean, I think we've mentioned it on the show before, but you've done a fan edit of the prequel trilogy, which is really, really good. <laughs> Yeah, there was that time in my life, which really could be any time, where I had nothing better to do. And with, you know, the general sense of entitlement that I have, I yeah. was like, I'm going to get the movie that I want. Yep. It's, it's Fuck all, you, George. It's almost as good as your Hobbit fan edit. 
Um, but I also watched The Terminator yesterday because I was like, I could die in a car crash tomorrow and I don't want Dark Fate to have been the last Terminator film that I saw Yeah, okay. if I die. So I watched The Terminator. Are you going to continue on with T2 or are you just you just wanted to watch Terminator? No, I was kind of just taking care of business. Now I'll be into, um. well, I've got to kind of, I mean, you've got to gear up, don't you, for a, for taking on Attack of the Clones. Yeah. That's there's, some, there's some rough stuff in there. <laughs> <laughs> and it gets everywhere. <laughs> it's coarse. <laughs> Lebowski! <laughs> yes, let's talk about Lebowski. Lebowski is a, ooh, maybe I was wrong according to Wikipedia, a 1998 crime comedy film written, produced, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Stars, of course, Jeff Bridges as The Dude, uh, along with John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, David Huddleston, and John Turturro. Good cast. Outstanding. Outstanding cast. Outstanding cast in outstanding form. Yes. I mean, all of these cast members are brilliant in everything they do, but I, th- I think this might edge as my favourite John Goodman performance. I don't, I don't need to think about that. Really? This is definite for you? Oh, clearly. He's had some very good roles. I love me some Goodman, but oh my God. Oh my God. Just playing... This absolute vlog of a human to absolute perfection. Yeah, but he's not just a... F- this is what I love about this film, is that th- this is a film really about characters. Like, I- I've heard it say from the Coens that they set out to make a movie with such a convoluted plot that it was just, at a certain point, you just give up on the story and you're just there for the ride with the characters. Well, yeah, like Lebowski has such high rewatch value and it's got nothing to do with the story, which is almost inconsequential. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, I think, is what makes it brilliant is that the characters are so well fleshed out and well executed. Like, you know, you, you say John Goodman is an absolute flog. He's scarred from Nam. Like, he has quite serious issues, which obviously the film, I think, is primarily a comedy. You can say that it's a crime thriller or all you want. As I said, I think the plot is really inconsequential. For me, it's a comedy. But it, it still handles those issues pretty well, I think, on a very surface level. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a lot of nuance going on there with, with Walter. No. But, like, he is a very fleshed-out character. He's not just a flog of a human being. He's got issues. He's a shit bloke, though. <laughs> Do you think so? He pulled every scene that Walter is in. He's being a terrible person. I think he's a hell of a lot of fun. I'm not saying it's not fun to watch. Like, Job Bluth is a <laughs> lot of fun to watch. But you don't want to be friends with that guy. Oh, really? So you wouldn't have Walter at a dinner party? Oh, no fucking way. He's up there with my most loved film characters. Oh, I love the character, but I wouldn't tell him my postcard. Oh, mate, if I was having a party, there'd be, there'd be Walter. There'd be Randall from Clerks. I, I guess I have a thing for assholes, don't I? <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> Pulls a gun on someone in a bowling match, Billy. Well, he stepped over the line. The most inane thing a human can do. Mate, no. It, Ten oh, pin bowling. Oh, I don't know if you remember this about me, but I played in a league for many years, my friend. Well, I've heard you say that a lot, but having seen you bowl, it's pretty <laughs> difficult to believe. You know what it was? Is that I, I I mean I 
I I I kind of broke myself bowling. I bowl oh, I bowl as you've seen very forcefully, and I gave myself a hernia. And so since then, I've had to be very careful bowling, and I can't give it my all anymore. So I, yeah, I'm you. You busted a hernia because you don't know how to bowl because you oh. clearly never bowled. <laughs> just to clear, just to, to point something out to the listeners, when Billy, so Billy's right-handed, yeah. So any any usual functioning human approaches the the alley. No, you run up. You got to run up. That's the step you're missing. Okay, yeah. You plant your left foot and the right arm comes through. Not Billy. Billy approaches the lane. His right foot stops and he leans and almost falls over as his right hand comes through. Yep. He almost tips over, just stays upright, and the ball goes fucking anywhere. Yeah, but you know what I don't do is cross the line. Because- well, you can't cross the line. Well, I mean, if, only if it's a league match. <laughs> yeah. Only if it's a league match. <laughs> then, of course, you've got... I mean, I for, for a lot of people, and certainly for a... For a certain slice of film fandom, a character that's arguably on the podium of the past couple of decades of film in The Dude. Yes. I mean, there's a religion based around it. You can become a member of the Church of the Latter-day Dudes. Dudism. It's Dudism. Yeah, well, there's two religions around it. <laughs> there's a, I mean, there's a, freak, there's a festival. Yeah. Yeah, there Lebowski is. Lebowski Fest is a thing. Yep. Um, and the dude, he abides. The dude, the dude, the dude abides. The dude's fucking amazing. He, he really maybe is. maybe the most amazing thing about the dude is that they didn't need to invest in costume for this character. <laughs> yeah, because Jeff Bridges just wore his own shit, which yeah. is fucking amazing. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> I love how outlandish all the characters are. Like the, these are actors, you know, like Julianne Moore. We know that Julianne Moore can do serious, subtle acting, but there is nothing subtle about Maud. This is not Far From Heaven. This is its own thing. It is spectacular. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I wanted my ringtone to be, I can't remember what. (laughs) As of this week, I want my ringtone to be Julianne Moore saying vagina. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Does that make you uncomfortable? <laughs> it's so good. It's it's just perfect. How could one person saying one word be so so good? And and this is the joy this is the joy of this film is is hanging out with these people. The plot which is if you had zero context for it it's it's kind of a old-timey noirish yeah yeah detective Exactly. Tale. At its core, it's it's a detective film without a proper detective. It's like Pink Panther, basically. It's a it's a slapstick detective film. And yet, you can watch this film a lot of times. Come back to it if you're anything like me. Have forgotten half the plot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about this film. I think is that, like, I was I was surprised when I watched it today. When when I pressed play, I looked at the runtime and I saw two hours, and I was like, that can't be right. That's too long for what this movie is. But it it's not. It's totally not. <laughs> okay, well, well, here's the thing. I'm a big fan of The Big Lowski. Oh, here we, here we go. I, I sense something coming. But I am in no danger of converting to dudism. I don't think it's a perfect film. Okay. As much love as I have for it, 
you, you've touched on the two-hour runtime. Yeah. There does come a point in the film, and it is specifically the Jackie Treehorn section. I find that sequence a bit of a handbrake on the movie that it never quite recovers from. It gets back to being awfully good for me, but it doesn't get back to the first, at a guess here, 70 minutes. Right. So even though kind of the point of the movie is being overly convoluted and having all these different branches of plot, that's a branch you would cut. That branch for me doesn't quite work. Now, here's why I absolutely just forgive it and move on with my life is because it is that sequence that gives us one of the more incredible things ever committed to celluloid, which is Jeff Bridges dancing on the stairs in the concussion dream sequence, which is, I mean, it's just amazing stuff. That was a question I was just about to ask you was where are you on the dream sequences? Oh my God. So you wouldn't cut the dream sequences, even though they specifically have nothing to do with really anything. Absolutely not. Um, and and having having things that don't have anything to do with the rest of the film is is a strong Cohen trope. In Fargo, of course, you've got Frances McDormand meeting up with that guy she went to high school with, who's clearly obsessed with her, and it it quite simply does not need to be there. But no one wants to cut that scene. Yeah, Jackie Treehorn, like, and I'm not saying it's bad. Like, I just think it's a speed bump. Yeah, in okay. the runtime. So, from what point would you pick it up again? You would lose the entire. You'd lose the Malibu Police, all all that. Yeah, again, not a bad scene, but I'm not attached to it. And I do like. I like that cop. I like the time that repeatedly we get reminded of. No matter how much we love the dude, he lives in a world that doesn't love him. Yeah. I do like those reminders. You know what I wonder if it is with the Jackie Treehorn segment is that that is probably the largest chunk of the film that doesn't have some of those supporting characters that we've grown to love. It's one of the only escapades the dude has that he doesn't take Walter on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I do think that while the dude is a great character, y- you lose a little bit of his charm when it is just like a lot of that scene is Jackie Treehorn talking you know, explaining. So I do think you lose some of that charm in that segment. I'll agree. And you've got, you've still got other things that don't necessarily need to be there that, that I love, like the scene with the dude's landlord, that, that little stunningly uncomfortable man that lives across the way, who's putting on a dance performance, which is, (laughs) it's incredible. And it's that stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I'm all for a lot of it. Yeah, and just an example of how little that needs to be there and kind of the the convolution of the plot. By the time we got to the dance scene, I actually forgot that was set up earlier when I watched it this time. And I've seen the movie many times before, but when we got to that, I was like, what? (laughs) I I just had completely forgot that this is something that had been established. (laughs) We also have shout out to Tara Reid in her second best ever role behind, obviously, Sharknado. This is the thing. In this day and age, it's pretty easy to forget just how darned attractive Tara Reid was at one point, isn't it? Little toe and all. You get, you get, you get lost up in, uh, you know, in the Dodo commercials and stuff, and you forget, wow, she really was very pretty. Now, this was, before, this was the year before American Pie. Was this her first role? 
I cannot answer that, sir. <laughs> what good are you to me? And of course, of course, we get Philip Seymour Hoffman being amazing. I know that you're going to slam me for this because I, I know how much of a Hoffhead you are. This is my favourite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. I think he's so great in it. I don't think anybody else could play this role like he could. And I know that that sounds silly because it seems like such a simple role, but I just think he has perfected it. Like, he does it so well. You're saying this is better than Dusty in Twister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it slightly. Big call. <laughs> yeah. Big call. Like, Dusty is my man. Um, I love the way that he always, always calls the dude, dude. <laughs> like... You know, other people always try a bit of, you know, Jeff or Mr. Lebowski. But even though this guy seems like the kind of guy who would who would Mr. Lebowski it, always dude. <laughs> Probably partly because he finds it distasteful that this person actually has the same name as his boss, who he has quite complicated feelings for, I think. I don't think they're that complicated. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe it's not complicated. The, the kind of Skinner, Mr. Burns yeah. <laughs> vibes going on. He is... And it it may not be a sexual attraction, but he is infatuated with the Big Lebowski. Yeah, yeah. I think he's fantastic in this. He's role. spectacular. Um, as is as is the Big Lebowski himself, who's like I mean, particularly the rant he goes on, yes. and ending in the bums lost. Yeah, it's that's spectacular. That's great stuff. Yeah, I especially like that guy because he pops up in season one of The West Wing. <laughs> While we're on cast, you can't talk about rants without talking about Sam Elliott as the stranger, which is such a fantastic and again, it's that's completely unnecessary in the film. You could look at the film and go, why is this guy narrating? Why does he pop up? What like what does that have to do with anything? It has everything to do with everything, I would argue. He is so fantastic. His moustache has everything to do with everything. From the moment he starts narrating the film and refers to Los Angeles, <laughs> he <laughs> is so good. And I, like, just at the, at the end when they just kind of let him ramble a bit, like, it's ju it just works so well. Every moment he's on screen is incredible. Like, I just want to listen to this guy asking for sarsaparilla all day long. Or I, I myself am having one of them good sarsaparillas right now as we speak. <laughs> you know I'm a fan of root beer. It can be hard to find here. But sarsaparilla is for some reason easy. And I hate when people say they're the same, but it'll do in a pinch. <laughs> and here I go rambling. Great bit of character design with the Jesus. Yes. From the moment we meet John Turturro and we see... There's that long fingernail and the rings and the hairnet. And you just disgusted just disgusted by this human being and did you know that he is just i think i think very recently wrapped editing his sequel yes <laughs> yes indeed so what i'll be curious yeah i'll be do curious. we really need 90 minutes to two hours of just of this character yeah i know right <laughs> just a repulsive character like he's he's so gross that you're you're kind of inclined to believe walter's story about him which i actually don't but you can't. You, it's easy to be like, well, yeah, people would believe that. I think it's just Walter believing anything he's heard because he wants to dislike the guy. Maybe, and and that to me is where the Coens really excel is creating these uh, repulsive characters that you 
can't stop watching. Like, as you say, you hate Walter, but he is, for me anyway, one of the most quotable characters of all time. And just, I, I love the guy, even though that's just something they excel at so well. It's, you know, you get the same thing from Lewin Davis, who is a complete dick, but you like watching him. Fun fun thing about that the, the Coens did in the scripting of the film, I think, with the the moments where the dude is seeming to the casual observer to be, you know, dropping some wisdom or getting something from a Zen-like plane that he's on through mad cannabis use where he's actually just quoting things that he heard that day (laughs) and it just cracks me up (laughs) like when he repeats the parlance of our time after Maud has said it and you know this when when I if I see the words this aggression will not stand (laughs) I'm thinking the dude yeah but in the film he directly steals it from President Bush yeah the ability of Jeff Bridges to just make these lines his own and in a way it's just even funnier the root of where the lines come from in the film. That no, he's he's not wise. He's just a stoner who heard something that sounds smart to him. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that we have then all been quoting it for twenty years is even funnier. Yes. Yeah. Because we're all dumb. The movie is effectively almost a slightly highbrow dude where's my car. <laughs> the line's even there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walter says, dude, where's your car? He, oh my God, he does. Did you know that prior to this conversation? Like it wasn't a bit of info I'd been keeping in my pocket or anything. <laughs> That's crazy. But I suppose right? I'd see I suppose I'd seen the movie before, so That's crazy. <laughs> Um, something I don't think gets to, you know, as you said, it'll be hard to talk about stuff that hasn't been spoken about for the last 20 years already with how many people have spoken about this movie. One thing I don't think gets the love it deserves is the soundtrack. You know, when we talk about great film soundtracks, there are all those that spring to mind, Reservoir Dogs, for example, or Pulp Fiction. Um, this is such a great soundtrack and it always marries so well with the, you know, you think of like the dream sequences and stuff like that. It's so well done. The brilliant scene where he's in the cop, uh, where he's in the, the taxi and he's asking taxi. the guy to turn the music off because he fucking hates the Eagles and he throws him out of the car. So good. <laughs> yeah, I was reading actually that they wanted to use Dead Flowers by Rolling Stones at the end of the film. And the guy who owned the rights to it, the Stones' former manager, wanted some ridiculous sum of money. For the, for the rights to use it. So they said, please come watch a cut of the film and, and then, you know, see. And apparently when they got to the line, you know, fuck the Eagles, he was like, yeah, okay, you can use the song. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. And I just think the way music is used in the film is is so good. It's It's a really interesting – do they actually ever specify what year the film is set? It, it's a really interesting film because obviously made in 98 – I read they actually wrote it in 91, but Goodman was busy at the time, so they decided to do, you know, other films, Fargo and stuff first. Um, But a lot of the film, you know, the way that, like, you know, Nam is so present in the characters' minds and stuff, it almost feels like the 70s in a lot of ways, but very anachronistic. Great, great part of a little showcase from here over the course of just a few years of Steve Buscemi being great. Because this is 
we're just after Fargo. We're right at the same time as his clearly should have won an Oscar for Con Air. Yes. <laughs> and he, playing a character that really you wonder how Bashimi hasn't played more of, I think. Yeah. So far removed from these foul-mouthed, pretty vile human beings. Well, in the case of the great Con Air. <laughs> Seriously vile human being. But he's like, he's just, you just want to give him a cuddle in this movie. Well, that's the thing. He's not only separate from those characters that he's played in other films, he's, he's separate from those exact same archetypes in this very film. <laughs> like, you know, his two, his two bowling buddies, he almost couldn't be further from. <laughs> that's right. Uh, just completely underappreciated with the fact that he only sends down strikes. Yeah. The only time that he doesn't, he winds up fucking dying. He, like, he has a heart attack. Minutes after not bowling a strike, and I love that because you know I'm pretty sure that that's the only non-strike you see in the entire movie. Like, there's a lot of shots of of pins being knocked down in this movie, not even by the main characters, just you know random shots of other people in the bowling alley. Oh, there's definitely one in that early montage. Is there? Yeah. Okay, but it just has such impact on you when he does that, and I love that the other characters don't even notice. And then in the final scene when they are scattering his ashes. Just the worst eulogy. <laughs> Which, you know, but it is interesting. I had, I had no idea that Donnie was a surfer until that eulogy. So do, do you think, does Donnie have no family? Or is Walter just like being so Walter that he's like, he, he'd probably want me to do this? That, that was my assumption is that I, I don't think they have even told Donnie's family because I think Walter just was on it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Donnie definitely has parents at least. Oh, I want Donnie to be with his parents. (laughs) In heaven. (laughs) Cuddled up, sending down strikes. (laughs) But the relationship between Donnie and Walter is one of my favourite things in the film oh god it's priceless it's it's just so you're out of your element donnie (laughs) is there it's just it's one of the great turns that that i can think of a character doing when walter goes from thinking that these people are nazis to finding out that they're nihilists yeah which he finds so repellent that he gets to at least it's an ethos (laughs) just the best line and then he bites one of their ears off. <laughs> and the moment that starts, you know where it's going. You can see the ears in his mouth, but you still don't feel like that's what's going to happen. Now, I've, I feel like we can't talk about a film that Roger Deakins shot without you having a little bit of a wank over it. <laughs> yep. Where, where's this in your in your Deakins, you know? Look, it's it's not like it, it's not in the Deakins Hall of Fame, which is by no means a slight on the film. It's that he... He's one of the greatest of all time. So, yes, his absolute greats are a very exclusive bunch. One of the great things about Deacons is that even though he can make a movie look better than possibly anybody else ever, he doesn't need to do that if that's not what the story calls for. Yeah, yeah. He absolutely knows what to do. This film doesn't call to look as good as Blade Runner 2049. So it doesn't. But there's still, like, the shots of the, the shots of, like, the three of them sitting at the bar at the bowling alley, for instance. No reason for that shot to look spectacular, and it doesn't. And yet, there's nothing about that shot that I would change. 
Yeah, I actually have a painting of that that shot on my wall right next to me in theatre here. I think I got you a similar one, didn't I? Yeah, you brought it, you brought it back from your honeymoon. Yeah, yeah, and I love it. It's just it's it's iconic, <laughs> and I think like they also deserve total credit for shooting a car running into a bin in a manner that is hilarious. Like, I, and it's hard to pinpoint what is so specifically funny about the dude driving into a bin, but it's funny. The movement that the camera does do is motivated for the story. It serves the story, which is what Deacons is always trying to do. He's not about making it look as good as it can possibly look. Yeah. It's about what should the camera be doing to help tell this story. Now, obviously, when you look at ranking this movie, we know that in terms of bowling movies, this is second after Kingpin. In terms of Coen Brothers movies, where does this sit for you? Okay, well, without even thinking about it, I can tell you it's not in the top two because it's not Fargo and it's not No Country for Old Men. Yeah, Fargo is my number one. Like, I like The Dude more than I like The Big Lebowski. And that's like, I've watched this film a bunch of times. I really dig it. But I'm not, like, of, of the people who, like, are really into this film, of which there are many, I'm not one of them. Yeah. So you've got Fargo above it. Any others? Uh, I think I think this is my second. I, I really, really, really loved this film. This is... He says not having seen No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I'll get to it. I'll get to it, mate. <laughs> um, the, I mean, for me, this rivals a couple of other films probably, at least for me, as one of the most quotable movies of all time. Even if the quotes are actually President Bush. Yeah. Like, you know me. You know that for a long time I wanted to be a writer, and this film was part of it because I fucking suck at story. So seeing a movie that was so character and dialogue-driven, like, that's that's my jam. It's the same reason I love, you know, Kevin Smith films. So, yeah, this this will always be right up there in my top films of all time. This is, after Fargo for me, this is, yeah, my second favourite Coen Brothers film. I was shocked. The other day when I went to watch it, I was shocked to realise. I went to get the DVD off the shelf and I don't have it. Really? Which I found. I had to. I was kind of standing there looking at the shelf going, this makes no sense. Do I not? <laughs> I was trying to get to the bottom of this puzzle of have I lost it or have I just never had it? I don't know. Maybe it's a similar case like um, my X-Files box set, which you've had for 15 years. <laughs> That's that's not a mystery. I, we know exactly what happened with your X-Files. <laughs> you haven't even watched um, it. That's the biggest I watched, crime. I watched several of them. Thank you. You watched that. like three discs out of like a hundred. Uh, that's roughly correct, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wound up, I rented Lebowski off iTunes. So I gave it $6.99 towards its take, which is a good thing because when it first came out, its domestic run was less than $20 million. It did reasonably well overseas. Like the, the, I think the thing made about fifty million, so it's not bad money. Yeah, and it was it was only made for like fifteen, so it turned a profit. But certainly, like in the year it came out, it was not thought of as it now is. I don't think. No, well, I think I think it came out the same year as something about Mary, which is also another outstanding comedy of the late nineties. Yes, it really is. It's one of my. Is it? It, it, it's probably my favorite comedy film. No, that's not true. But it's not very good, is the thing. Oh, you... Oh, 
you just like to make me angry today, don't you? <laughs> today. Um, I I have to say, I feel like renting it was absolutely the right choice because that takes you back, doesn't it? To like 98, 99 when you'd wander into the video shop and, you know, like that's where a movie like this got its cult status from. That's right. That makes me happy that you rented it. I mean, I was even happier because it's not my credit card that's linked to that account, so. <laughs> well, that's definitely the way to do it. <laughs> yes. So, what are you scoring it out of 10? Um, I Look, I totally dig this film. Um, eight out of 10. All right. I'm a, I'm a nine. So, that's a recommend from us? I'd say it's a definite recommend from us. I hope you're happy with that, patron. Um, and of course, if you're a white male born between 1975 and 1990, you don't need this to be recommended because you've already seen it 27 <laughs> times. <laughs> All right, buddy. What are we going to do next week? Absolutely no idea, champ. <laughs> you're terrible at this, mate. Next week, we are getting to Ford v. Ferrari. It's meant to be good. Yeah, I'm I'm keen to see it. Good looking cast. I, really, I, I genuinely am looking forward to trundling down to the local dandy to check that one out. Yeah. Oh, n- nice, nice little subtle plug. Nice, nice plug there, wasn't it? <laughs> no one even noticed. No, that's right. No one will guess that they gave us some free tickets. Yes. Yeah, so thank you to our sponsors, Dandy Cinemas. That's fan- and you know what else that made? They didn't just give us tickets. They gave us some tickets uh, for a little giveaway. So I don't know. Maybe we'll try come up with some plans and do that next week. Okay. All Competition right. time. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right, that'll be awesome. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show and demand that we watch a film that you love you, or, or a film that you hate, if you want to put us through that, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. It sure has. Uh, where was I? And we'll catch you next week. <laughs> I was at the end, wasn't I? I think I... I don't know. Catch you next week. Go watch a movie. <laughs>